Kaf Aleph Iyar, Taf Shin Pei Aleph, coming to you live from the offices of Ariel Tours in New York. I'm Mayor Weingarten. Welcome to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Yeah, I need 
מי יודע כל כאב. Who knows and understands all pain. מי רופא לשבורי לב. Who heals the broken hearted. It is the יוצר אור ובורי וחושך. He who creates light and darkness. עושה שלום ומלחמה. Who makes peace and war. Because God... does all those, the Or and the Choshech, the Shalom and the Milchama. Hanan ben Ari, Shvurei Lev. I thought it was an appropriate way to open our show this morning, and it's a hard show to do. But we welcome you in to this week's edition of the Israel Show in the shadow of the tragedy at Mehron, This past Thursday night, and uh, we're going to dedicate most of the show to different facets of Mehron, which uh, will include some very moving stories, tragic stories, and a little bit <clears throat> of an analysis of what happened and why. Uh, not why in the sense of um, knowing uh, as if I have some sort of uh, knowledge of uh, what goes up ups- on upstairs. No, why based on the downstairs, on the Derech HaTeva, these things, uh, this happened. So we're going to try and bring you as much of that as we can. Uh, we have a Meir Milim segment coming up as well. And... Um, We'll uh, see how much we can cram into this next hour here at the uh, Israel show. A, a new song came out a few days ago, and it's an it's a uplifting song. It's a beautiful song, Uri Uri, Kiva Orech, and, uh, which is from Yeshayahu, Arise, Arise, Light Up, Jerusalem because um, your time has come and so we should be a little uplifting not just down and depressed so we're going to do that now it's uh, sung by Ariel Zilber our dear friend and it was composed by Tzvi Zalewski and then we'll go on with uh, bringing you the uh, Lagba Omer story from Mehron Tushin Pei Aleph. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Uri, Uri, Libshi Uzech Tzion, Libshi Uzech Tzion, Uri, Uri, Libshi <laughs> 
ירושלים, עיר הקודש, רימשי בגנת נפארתך ירושלים, ירושלים, עיר הקודש. רימשי בגנת נפארתך ירושלים, ירושלים, עיר הקודש. רימשי בגנת נפארתך ירושלים. ירושלים עיר הקודש. אורי אורי, לבשי עוזך ציון, לבשי עוזך ציון. אורי אורי, לבשי עוזך ציון. ירושלים ירושלים, עיר הקודש, לבשים בגדי תפארתך ירושלים, ירושלים, עיר הקודש. אריאל זילבר, ברנד נו. אורי אורי לבשי בגדי תפארתך ירושלים עיר הקודש, אמן. I'm going to assume that everybody knows what happened at Meron this past Thursday night, Lagba Omer. The tradition that has uh, really increased increased very rapidly over the years of people coming to Meron. When I say increased, I mean the number of people who actually come has increased. And um, it is, without a doubt, the largest gathering of people, I don't know about in the world, but surely in the Jewish world, where um, they talk about 150,000, 200,000 and more, that come during, not at one time, during the period of the start of Lagba Omer till the end of Lagba Omer. What happened this year is because Lagba Omer was on Friday, there wasn't really any, there wasn't the same amount of time, the same length, the same number of hours in which people could be spread out And so many more people came at night who would usually come, and yet you have the people that would come at Mutsay Lagwa Omer usually, if it wasn't on a Friday, also coming at night. So you had an unusually large crowd, and... Um, 
We have 45 dead people, some of them, many of them youngsters, who were trampled in a very difficult to explain situation, but basically um, people, thousands of people are trying to exit and there's a makeshift ramp that is metallic and is wet and so it's slippery and it's on a slope, it slopes downward and they're all moving forward I don't know if you've ever been in that kind of situation where you're in such a crowd it is so big that as you lose control of yourself you just are pushed you, you're you just you're just like moving being moved by the crowd you don't really get to move where you want to go and um, as somebody slipped and tripped on the uh, wet metal ramp and another one, and then another one, and that's how it all started. I don't think anybody expected anywhere near 45. I was watching this from the very, very beginning. I was watching a live feed of Miron and... I saw the beginnings of the story and people were talking about, oh, there's one, two dead, three dead. Nobody realized the magnitude. But you have to give a lot of credit to the Hatzalah, Yichud Hatzalah, to the Magen David Adom, to the police, to, I guess, what we call the first responders who did an amazing job of uh, saving a lot of people and uh, getting a lot of people out of there in very difficult uh, conditions. And then, as it was Thursday night, Friday, the bodies were flown to southern Tel Aviv, which is where the coroner's office is, And each body had to be identified. Obviously, there was no autopsy done or from people, but they needed to ID the bodies and, uh, you know, sign whatever death certificates and other paperwork there was. And they were calling out to the family members, and family members were trying to figure out if their family member was killed or is still alive and just couldn't get through to them because the cell phones weren't really working because of the overflow on the lines or the non-lines. And so it took a while till they were able to totally identify and release all the bodies. They didn't manage to do it all before Shabbat. And then the Rabbanut had uh, asked the coroner's office to stop the work during Shabbat, which they did, respecting the will of, of those killed and their families. So I believe there were 17 funerals before Shabbat, racing like crazy. People literally going from the, coming to a funeral with the strimal of Shabbos already on their heads, 
and going from the funeral straight into Shabbos. But so great was the want of the families to bury the dead as quickly as possible. Lola Halina Tamait. And then they were victims who were injured. Dozens and dozens, I think over a hundred and something people who were injured. The closest hospital to Meron is in Tzfat. It's called the Ziv Hospital. It's a small-ish hospital compared to the other ones that we know, whether it's uh, Rambam in Haifa or or uh, Hadassah Sharit Tzedek in Yerushalayim and, 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 uh, and Tel Aviv and so forth. So they couldn't all be brought to Ziv and the helicopters came and took the injured to different hospitals and of course the loved ones are trying to find out where their loved ones are and if they're alive. What a harrowing night. What a harrowing night. There were a lot of stories of little kids and there were numerous children who were killed but there were numerous children who were saved by total strangers who were part of the stampede but they were bigger and taller and they saw a child drowning they didn't know whose child the child didn't know where his parents were and um they picked the child up and tried to hand him to somebody either outside of the area or carry the child till they reached the outside. Numerous cases of people caring about somebody else, not just about themselves when it's a life and death situation. You know, this event comes at a special time. This was a very challenging year for Haredi relationship with Israel's secular population. Usually there's a tension, a lower tension, related to the question of military service and other things. But this year, the reaction to COVID deepened the divide tremendously. And there was endless, there were endless media reports, TV segments about the Haredim who aren't listening to the rules, who make up their own rules, who don't care about the public safety, who do their own thing, who don't listen to the police, etc., etc. That created a lot of antipathy. And this weekend was the quintessential example of an insight that Rav Lau made. He said, we've learned to die together, now we need to learn to live together. The call went out that blood was needed, thousands of people lined up. In Tel Aviv, hundreds of people lined up for hours, they stood in line for hours in terrible heat at a makeshift center to donate blood for Haredim. Yeah. Might, you might say, of course. 
But it's not so, of course. The the radical secularists of Tel Aviv or of other parts of Israel have a, a, a level of hate in their heart for this growing community who they feel are stealing away their country because demographically they keep growing in size. In less than 24 hours, 2,208 blood donations were collected. The government declared Sunday, yesterday, a national day of mourning. All the flags were lowered. They have staff. There was radio stations who um, did not play um, lively music. It was sort of like a little bit of a small tish above. And that was embraced by the general Israeli society who paid their respects to the tragic death of 45 people who they see now as part of themselves. There were numerous victims from North America, I think there were six or seven, who were buried before or right after Shabbat, and their families couldn't make it. And so the social media called out for people to come to funerals, Kavod Hamet, to honor the victims, and thousands and thousands of people did. Donnie Morris Zal from Bergenfield, New Jersey, a young man studying for his year in Israel at Yeshivat Shalvim, beloved by all who knew him, but so many who didn't know him, who never heard his name before Friday, attended the funeral. 5,000 people came to the Yeshivat Shalvim in Israel. And 35,000 people watched the live streaming of his funeral. Yeah, we often say there's not enough achtos. There isn't. There probably will never be. But there's a lot more than we think. And this story that I heard on Israeli television on, I think it was on Motzei Shabbat or, or yesterday, when Sivan Rahav Meir of Channel 12 News <clears throat> told a story which is just it's a heartbreaking story one of the victims was a young man from Borough Park who had just gotten engaged his name was Menachem Knublowitz, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. And the Knublowitz family in Brooklyn, in Borough Park, insisted that their son Menachem be buried as soon as possible after Shabbat ended in Israel. And they said to them, wait a minute, you understand that if we do that, you won't be able to even zoom to see the funeral because it's going to be Shabbos in New York. It's going to be like 2 p.m. in New York. And they said, no. The kavod of our son, the kavod hames, takes precedence over everything. And you can only imagine what that Shabbos table looked like when they were having a suddat Shabbat as their son. They knew that their son was being buried at that very moment in Israel. There are many sad stories, many uplifting stories, 
We have to learn from it. We have to get stronger in our Ahavat Yisrael. And as far as what goes on the ground, we'll discuss that after this uh, next song. And um, we'll do our Hebrew language segment as well. Here is um, Yonatan Razel with Katonti. Katonti mikola chasadim mikola emet asher asita lavdecha. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network.
our Meir Milim segment, we shed light on a word or phrase in the Hebrew language. Meir Milim is inspired by the Galit Sahal radio segments of Dr. Avshalom Kor and informed by the teachings of Dr. Lior Gottlieb. Here is this week's installment. In living a religious life, many things are prohibited, while everything else is permissible. For example, we might say that doing Act A is Asur, prohibited, Asur, while doing B is Mutar, permitted, Mutar. Another form of these words are familiar to us as Isser and Heter. So it's surprising that the day after a Chag, the day when Milacha, activity, is permitted, is called Isru Chag. Shouldn't it be called Hatiru Chag or Mutar Chag? Every morning, we thank God for many things that we might take for granted, for waking up, having our health, being able to see and stand and walk, for having clothes and shoes, the series of blessings known as Birchot HaShachar. One of the Birchot is Baruch Matir Asurim. Does that mean that God is matir, that which is asur? Makes it permissible to do what is forbidden? Hey, that's a good deal. Where do I sign up for that? When we take a closer look at the words asur and mutar, we discover that the original meaning is not prohibited and permissible. In its most basic form, asur is tied down. Le'esor is to secure something with ropes. Therefore, in Bereshit, the prison that Yosef is in is called Makom Asher Yosef Asur Sham. Yosef is confined to this place. He's locked up. So Asur is tied down, confined. The opposite of that is Mutar, to untie, unfasten, loosen, set free from the Shoresh Natar, which is probably why the ability to jump high is called Linater. The jumper is not tied down. He is set loose and can jump up. When we say Hashem Matir Asurim, it could mean one of two things. It could mean that God frees, unties, those that are unlawfully imprisoned. Or it could mean especially in the context of Birchot HaShachar, that God unties the limbs of our bodies, lets them be loose so that we can move them freely. Only later in history does the meaning of the words expand. Asur, meaning tied down, shackled, now also means prohibited. Mutar, meaning let loose, untied, now also means permitted. So much so that we often forget the original meaning of the words Asur and Mutar. There's a cute saying in modern Hebrew about when you may walk your dog in the street. Imhakelev Asur, Mutar. Imhakelev Mutar, Asur. If the dog is Asur, tied up on a leash, then it's Mutar, permitted to walk the dog in public. But, if it's mutar, loose, untied, then asur. Then it's prohibited to walk the dog. And now we get back to Isru Chag. The source of the phrase is from the Pasuk and Tehillim that we say is part of the Hallel. 
כל השם ויאר לנו, איסרו חג באבותים עד קרנות המזבח. God is our light, our savior. And to honor him, we bring a korban, an animal sacrifice, which is called a chag. We tie up the animal with thick rope so it doesn't run away, and who, who would blame it for trying, and bring it to the mizbeach. Isru chag ba'avotim means tie up the animal, which serves as the korban chag, tie it up with thick ropes. The Gemara and Sukkah darshins meaning reinterprets the Pasuk, to teach us that after the Chag, the holiday, we should still stay somewhat connected to the holy day. Don't detach yourself so quickly. Isru Chag, tie yourself to the holiday. Connect yourself for one more day. And so the day that follows each of the Shalosh Regalim becomes known as Isru Chag. And we now know to differentiate between the pshat, the simple meaning of the words isru chag and pasuk, tie the animal and hold it as you bring it to the mizbeach, and chazal's drash, which encourages us to tie ourselves and not let go for one more day of the holiday. To end off, we'll ask the following interesting question. Does the Torah, the five books of Moses, ever use the words asur and mutar, to describe things.
סיבת הסיבות. What happened at Mayron on a physical level to cause the tragic death of 45 people? I learned a lot over the last few days about Mayron. I must admit that although I've been to Mayron many years ago, I... Um, I have not been there ever for Lagba Omer. It is not my minhag. But I learned about the place, the complex of the burial, the traditional burial site of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and his son. Who runs the place? When you have a Lahavdil, a large auditorium where the Philharmonic plays, or a huge soccer stadium, there are precautions that have to be taken by law. You have to get people signed off on the, f- the fact that there are proper entrance and exits, that there are proper... Um, that there's a, a maximum number of people that are allowed in at any particular time and um, proper facilities, proper in, in case of emergency, um, Red Cross, not Red Cross, in, in Israel's case, and so forth and so on. It's the law in any country. You can't have a mass, a massive a number of people at an event without the law providing instructions and restrictions. So who is the owner, so to speak, of Mehron? Who's in charge? Who is the one who is responsible and the answer is no one and everyone the complex at Meron is not a national site of the state of Israel the Kotel is and at the Kotel you can have huge masses of people not as many as in Meron and Lagwomer but you can have huge masses of people tens of thousands and their proper regulations, restrictions, rules, exits, and entries, and so forth. Because the state of Israel nationalized the Kotel and the plaza, or, or the plaza at least, and is in charge. Meiron is not like that. Going back to the 1800s, to the times when the Ottoman Empire, the Turks ruled over Israel, the area was owned by not-for-profit organization. That's the best way I can uh, put it. A hekdesh, like a trust. Holy places that are put in a trust. A hekdesh from the word kadosh. Um... 
It was mainly owned by the Sephardic Trust, because the Sephardim were basically the ones there. Then, later on, as time went on, a little piece was bought by an Ashkenazic trust. Over the years, a total of four or five trusts somehow got hold of areas, parts of pieces of Meiron, and called it their own. They have Chazaka, they can't be told what to do, and as a result, the Meiron complex is chaotic. Buildings are built, temporary structures are put up without any engineers signing off without any um, permission to actually build a structure. Doesn't matter. Go away. The rules don't apply to us. Somebody said the other day that Meron is operating based on two very Jewish concepts. The Israeli concept of tzmochalai, smoch, which in Israel is a way of saying, what are you worried about? I'm going to take care of it, which everybody knows means it's not going to get taken care of. Not tzmochalai. And the other tradition that was the Israeli tradition. But then there's also the Galut tradition that comes with, to Israel. It's the Shtetl's Gabai who's running the Shtibel. So between Smochalai and running a Shtibel, that's Meron. In 2008, listen, 2008, the Israeli state controller did an investigation to what's going on at Meron and said this is a disaster waiting to happen. Quote, The major problem is that there's no one in charge. There's not one person, body, organization who is ultimately in charge. There are four different or five different organizations who are fighting basically with each other pushing and shoving and ultimately it comes down to money there's a lot of money to be made at Meron and everybody wants to get a piece of the action one of the heads of the Israeli police, a former head of the Israeli police said it's run like a mafia I hate to say it that way but we know that these things happen. So twice, the government tried to nationalize the complex, to take over the whole area of Kev Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, to create one organization that is in charge 
and create a proper site, taking off the illegal buildings and so forth, and setting up proper roadways. We know that the access roads to the place are terrible. Proper roadways, proper exits, proper entrances. To make sure that the structures are sound. To make sure that all the safety precautions are in place. But unfortunately, unfortunately, the five mafias, so to speak, went to court and said, no, 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 government can't take it over. And there was a compromise reached because nobody wants to start up with the Haredi public and it would have been seen as such because the Haredi politicians are very, very um, cautious about allowing the Israeli government to get involved in Haredi whether it's politics or piety sort of so they came up with an idea that there would be a committee it would be pushed off the whole idea would be pushed off by a bunch of years there would be a commission set up that would uh, run the place five people would uh, would be on this committee and they would make sure and then again in 2013 and in 2016 and you know what the da 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 means Nothing happened. Nothing happened. Nothing. Not one thing. And every police commander who was interviewed over the past weekend on Israeli news shows, and I have seen many, every commander said that every year they were petrified about Lagba Omer. That every year as the crowds grew and they wanted to put more safety precautions, they were rebuffed. No, don't tell us what to do. We already see him. That every year at the end of Lagba Omer they had a celebration to celebrate the miracle that no one was killed. Year after year. What happened this year? There was no miracle. That's not a way that the Torah allows us to live. The Torah says to us, The Gemara tells us, That's the less well-known, The other one is Yirat Shemaim. Everything is in the hands of God except for when you go and do something irrational, irresponsible, and think that God is going to protect you. If you take 100,000 people and put them in an area that can't accommodate 100,000 people and set up an exit that can't accommodate 100,000 people with a metal ramp that is slippery, then people are going to die. 
And the miracle would be if they don't die. The government is afraid of the Haredi politicians of Shas and of the Aguda. And ultimately, if they are leaders, then they need to lead. And that's what the Haredi community in Israel needs, leadership. And if they would have been leaders, all the people that were pushing and making sure that the that because of COVID there wouldn't be any limitations on the number of people, that's what they were busy worrying about and, and lobbying about. If they would spend that time worrying and lobbying about safety precautions that apply to them too and to their people, then maybe this could have been avoided. I didn't know that after the Kotel, this is the most visited site in Israel. How do we leave it? How do we leave it? In the hands of a bunch of interested groups. I just see now a headline that Aryeh Derry said, the disaster at Meiron who gzerat shamayim. And that's exactly what I was saying just now. You can't say it's a gzerim if you set it up or allowed it to be set up in a way that it's a accident waiting to happen, that the handwriting is on the wall, that year after year after year the police warn and 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 every police commander said they wanted to make sure they didn't want to have anything to do with the Lagba Omer event because they knew that one day this is gonna happen. No. I don't know. I'm not a theologian. I'm not a rabbi. But it seems to me that if you run in the street as a car is racing toward you and you get hit, that's not a Mishamayim. Rishimu Bar Yochai was a Talmud of Rabbi Akiva. who had 24,000 students, the Gemara says, that died between Pesach and Shavuot. What Rabbi Akiva did after so many students died is he went and he got some more students amongst them with Shimon Bar Yochai. And he started again. And that's what we got to all do. We got to take that optimistic view of Rabbi Akiva. We have to investigate, we have to fix, and we have to move forward as we continue in the Geulah that we are all experiencing. We wrap up. I'm going to wrap up with. Um, Halev Shali, my heart. Nikralish Naim, my heart is ripped into. 
won't get the whole song in, but we'll get part. I say thank you to all of you for listening. Thanks for your Facebook likes and comments. Thanks to the staff at the Nachum Siegel Network. And my very special thanks, as always, to Nachum Siegel. Coming up on the Nachum Siegel Network, Yoni Pollock is on with After Further Review, covering the latest in the world of sports. And then the Great Monday Music Marathon will fill out the day. Until next Monday, immediate. No, no, not not not, not No, no, no. Next Monday's Yom Yushalayim. I'll be on with Nachum and J.M. in the A.M. The Monday after that is Shavuot. So until the third Monday <laughs> after this Monday. Immediately following J.M. and the A.M., this is Mayor Weingarten reminding you the nice guys do not finish last. They're just running in a different race. <laughs> Come on, so far, Miriam, 